Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm Rita Peters, and I've got my trusty co-host here, Mark Meckler. And you all know that we are right in the thick of a presidential election season. So today we wanted to bring back our good friend, Rick Santorum, to talk about some considerations for us as Christians as we progress through this contentious election time. And Rick couldn't be any more qualified for the discussion. As most of you know, he served in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives and significantly made a strong bid for the Republican Party's presidential nomination back in 2016. Rick, welcome back to the program. Well, I, I amend that. It was 2012, not 2016, but I, I will agree with everything else you said. <laughs> it seems like it was yesterday to me. And Rick, for what it's worth, I don't think I've ever told you this, but you were my favorite. I was rooting Thank for you. you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I wish... I wish I got as many votes as people who said I was their favorite, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to just start out with that kind of behind the scenes stuff. Tell our listeners, tell Mark and me, what what is it like to be running for president? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's feeling fully alive. Uh, that's just the best way I can I can describe it. Uh, you just. Uh, the 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 dynamism of a presidential campaign and you know all the different aspects of it all the attention that is being focused on everything you say and do is uh it is just almost every moment is um is is like you're in a in some respects like you're in a movie it's like it's you're live you're on stage and uh like i said it's a it's in in that respect, if, if this if that's what you like, uh, it's intoxicating. You know, that's why I say it's it's um, it's sometimes uh, harder. It's 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 harder to uh, to get out of a race than it is to get into a race uh, because you you get wrapped up in that in, in in what you're doing and you realize you know the stakes involved. You know, I, I played sports and you know I got involved and I you know committed to win and everything, but in the end. Uh, what you want is a game that, that um, in the grand scope of history means very little. Uh, in this contest, this contest is for that you know, affects humankind because America is the leader of the of the world and and you're running for a job that is the leader of the leader of the free world. And so it's a it, it it's consequential. And that's that's the thing that that uh, that sort of weighs on you, but also lifts you up and exhilarating. And so it was a. Uh, in my case, the, the the nice thing about my case is that no one gave me any chance of winning. And so uh, I I I look at other candidates, many of whom are come on the stage and and with great expectation and lots of hype, and then ninety five percent of them crash and burn. Uh, and the reason is is because this is hard. It's something that you've never done before, and it's. Uh, Oh, these things I just talked about—how consequential and how big it is, and how uh, how much attention you get, and how much your 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 everything you say and do, or said and di and did, is uh, is just uh, under a microscope. It, it's a daunting thing that no one you, you can say. Well, I ran for governor, I ran for senate, I ran for this. It's not the same. It's just not the same because it's not just it's not just your state or your community looking at you. It's not just the country. It's the world who's looking at you. And and so it's a 
it's that kind of weight that tends to cause a lot of a lot of uh, uh, mission failures on the part of candidates. And the beautiful thing I have, just to make my point, beautiful thing I had going to my in my advantages. <laughs> No one paid any attention to me while I was, you know, lifting off uh, because I was, you know, one percent and uh, had no money and nobody really endorsing me or anything like that. I was barely making the stage for debates. I was getting the fewest questions. Uh, the questions I got were all tailored to sort of my little niche in the field as the media perceived it. And so I was able to go out there and say a lot of really stupid and bad things and make mistakes and nobody noticed uh, and so it wasn't like, oh, you know, look at, you know, this candidate who's supposed to be great and he's an idiot. I could be an idiot. No one would see me be an idiot and or they would, but they wouldn't report it because it didn't matter. Uh, and so I it takes a while to get into the groove of, of of this type of race and also to find your message. You think, well, wait a minute, you're running for president. You must have a message. No, that's not you do. But, but it may not be the message that's the winning message. And you've got to craft that by the interacting and the and being on the stump and get, hearing from people and seeing what works and what doesn't. It's like, you know, uh, you probably know this, but comedians uh, don't put a routine together and go on go on the Las Vegas Strip or, or, or go on TV. They go to little clubs all over the place and try out material. And that's what I was doing. I was going to little town halls and you know, in Red Oak, Iowa, and, uh, you know, in Anderson, South Carolina, and, uh, you know, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I was trying out jokes. Now, not jokes, but I was trying out how to deliver the message I wanted to deliver to connect to people. It's not that I was crafting my agenda around this. No, it, I had my, what I wanted to talk about is how it's, I always say, what, it's not what you say, it's what people hear. And so, and and a lot of that is not just what you say, but how you say it, and your body language in saying so, and, and your delivery. And so uh, that just takes time to develop. And you say, well, you know, you sound like you're, you know, performing, you know, for a, for a movie. You're not performing for a movie, but to suggest that a guy like Ronald Reagan, who was an actor, you know, wasn't really great as a politician, because he had skills that he learned that, that are important to being a politician. And in today, it wasn't true in George Washington's time because you didn't campaign. It wasn't true in Abraham Lincoln's time because you saw maybe one one hundredth of one percent of the people that were going to vote for you. But it is true. Hmm. It is true today. That's interesting, Rick. It makes me wonder, do you think, and I would ask Mark to chime in on this as well, do you think that we get a different quality or a different type of person as president in this modern day because of how different the process is and how central media is and you know the short sound bites as opposed to the long speeches or the written word do you think it it ends up having a different type of person in the oval office than the type of people who we got as presidents back you know in in the first hundred years of our nation? Well, I'll, I'll take a quick answer to that and I'll let Mark expound because he's more the historian than I am. But I, I just use Lincoln as an example. I mean, Lincoln, uh, if you, every, every report about his voice was sort of squeaky and, and backwoods-ish. And, you know, he was a, not a very handsome man. Uh, he, was, uh, he, <laughs> he, he, he was always sort of disheveled in his appearance, uh, sort of moody and, and, and it, 
there's just no way a guy like that, no way a guy like that is going to go anywhere in politics today. Uh, and so, mm. yeah, it, it, but at the same time, you know, someone like Ronald Reagan wouldn't have gotten anywhere in, uh, in 1860, uh, because the, the qualities 1860s of what they were looking for in a president were very different than what they are today. So society changes and presidents change with what society is, uh, yeah, how society evolves. I would agree with a lot of that. I, I would say, you know, if you look at a guy like Madison, uh, diminutive in stature, poor public speaker, uh, back then, mostly presidents didn't run for the presidency. They, it was considered demeaning to campaign for yourself. And so, yeah, different kind of outward persona. What I hope is, what I pray for, I don't think we always get this, is that same kind of person from a character perspective runs for president. I don't think that's generally always true, but I think that's what we hope for, right? We want the kind of men and women running for office that ran for office back then. A lot of them who were actually doing it out of a sense of public service. You know, it wasn't as glorious back then as it is now. You didn't fly around in private airplanes. Uh, you weren't necessarily living the high life. It was a hard job. It still is a hard job, uh, but a lot less glamour because you didn't have the sort of Hollywood sheen on it that it has right now. Uh, back in, in those days, in the early days, the when we had the White House, once the White House was built, it was an open house. Again, anybody could literally show up, drop in, and try to see the president. You couldn't always see him, but a lot of people did. Uh, in Lincoln's day, people would just come into the White House. So it's a different mm. job now than it was back then. Yeah. And I do agree on a forward-facing basis, it really requires somebody who is savvy with the media, who speaks well, who looks good, who understands sound bites? These are things that were not necessary during the early days. Well, of the also country. remember yeah. this: it was a different job because Washington was not the center of the world yeah. or even the center of the country. Uh, the the, yes. the states where where the power uh, rested and the the president was really involved in uh, in international affairs, whether it's trade or treaties or. Uh, or you know, foreign entanglements or engagements, defending the country in the War of 1812, or whatever the case may be, or the Civil War, Mexican-American War. That's uh, if you think about it, you, the presidents you know are presidents who were involved in uh, in, in times of, uh, of of military strife, uh, or and uh, mm -hmm. up until the last hundred years. Uh, that those are the presidents that that sort of stuck out. Uh, and they stick out because Washington didn't do much beyond uh, beyond those right. things, and and the country seemed to do pretty well uh, as a result of that. Yeah, Rick, I have, a, I have a question that goes to our viewers and our listeners specifically. We talk on this show a lot about uh, Christianity and its intersection with politics and society, and that's why it's called Crossroads. And so there is a, I I would argue there's a difference how you approach life if you're a Christian uh, than if you're a non-Christian. How does that affect you when you're running for president? Um, ultimately, as, as a Christian, you know, your, your treasure uh, is, uh, is in heaven. It's not in this world. And so uh, you always, as I always said, when I was in the Senate or in the House, I was running for president, uh, you know, I have a constituency of, I have a constituency of one. Uh, and uh, I'm accountable, really, ultimately, to one per one one being. That's uh, that's that's God. Uh, and and so if you if you approach it in that way, 
frankly, it's a lot easier because you just you, you try to go out there and, you know, you want to win and you want to, as I mentioned before, you want to craft your message. You want to do things to make sure you want to make decisions to give you the best opportunity to win. But but you you always do it in the context of what are you trying to win and uh, and, you know, doing doing evil for, for the sake of good is is evil. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, it's not a, a Christian's not allowed to do that. And so uh, you, you, you're you're sort of uh, welcome. It's it's a welcoming thing to me to to be confined uh, by by the uh, by the by the laws uh, that that the Lord has laid out for us. And because it it just makes makes decision making easier. It makes life day to day easier. The consequences of losing. One of the things I found out uh, through my through my uh, journey in life and my faith journey is what I see as losing is not necessarily what God sees as losing. And so I di- I don't worry. I didn't worry as much about winning or losing. I worried about trying to do the right thing and and uh, and and try to uh, and try to uh, be a great witness for Him. And so it just it the, there's all this pressure. If this is it, if this is everything, then I I just can't imagine. I mean, it was pressure enough for me because to me, it's not everything, but it was a very important thing and something that was that I felt called to do. So in that respect, I felt a lot of pressure. But if it's everything, I just can't imagine how you you deal with it and and uh, and do and do so in a way that that keeps you focused on what 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 the what the the, the just and the true and the uh, and, and the good is. Yeah, Rick, I want to I want to switch from sort of the broader to something very personal. But it's not just very personal in the way it affects you. I think this is true for any candidate and most especially for presidential candidates. I mean, you are known as a family man. And this is not necessarily true of most politicians. Uh, and it's not that your whole family's public, but you are known as a guy who really is a warrior for family values. Uh, Bella's story is a, a best-selling book about your disabled daughter uh, and you and your wife, Karen, raising her up. You're a hardcore pro-life advocate. So for you, I know your life revolves around God and family. How does it affect a family when you run for president? Because from the outside, it looks pretty difficult. Yeah, it's it's worse inside. <laughs> uh, it's it, particularly that, uh, given uh, when I was running, the, the, the age of my children when I was running, when I ran for president, you know, my, uh, my oldest was, uh, was 21. Uh, and my and my youngest was uh, eleven, and and so it, or ten or eleven. So it was, it, it, and we had seven seven. I shouldn't say that, but the youngest who would be aware of everything. I have a daughter who is younger than that, Bella, but she's not aware of of all those things. So in that respect, it, it you know a campaign other than the fact that I'm there or not there doesn't really have an impact on her. So for the six kids that would be impacted by what's going on, the dynamic of a race. Uh, you know, 21 to 11, and uh, and it was it it, it it was hard on them uh, in their personal lives at, at school, uh, and and being uh, being uh, your your father being the center of attention, and and because I was conservative, you know, all of the left institutions of America, from schools to Hollywood to the news media, etc., was was certainly not kind, and and it it made it uh, it made it very very difficult for them, and. So just that aspect was very tough, but you know the 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 intensity of a campaign. I mean, I I wanted my kids in in some respect to the extent they 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 were comfortable with it involved, uh, which means they they would occasionally travel with me and they would um, 
they would be at events and uh, and participate in the way they felt comfortable participating in uh, whether full banks or other things. So they, I tried to I, I tried to make it a family enterprise to sort of uh, so they would experience what that was like. Uh, and I and just to, to the sum of that is uh, of the six kids, uh, none of them are in only five of them. The oldest, the oldest five want nothing to do with politics. And the youngest one uh, is graduating from college this year, and uh, he's going to work for a political campaign. So there you go. So I, I got, I got one out of one out of six, and the one who was least affected by politics is the one who's interested in it. <laughs> that makes good. So most of them learned the lesson. He was just too young. He was just too young. Well, Rick, let's let's talk for a few minutes about this particular race for president and in particular the um, Republican um, nominee, the the competition there. We're still in primary season, but Donald Trump seems to be winning every state. D- does Nikki Haley still have a chance? Uh, well, until the, uh, the one candidate has a major has a majority of delegates, the answer is yes, they have a chance. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't want to bet any money on that chance. Uh, I, I think the chance is in is literally infinitesimal at this point. Uh, but Nikki Haley has other designs that she's uh, why she's running. She's she knows she's not going to be the nominee of the party uh, if uh, you know it, in this primary process. But she I think is holding out for one of in my mind one of three things. Number one. Uh, that she will continue on, get delegates, even if you lose, and if you if you do, you know, well enough in some states because they have proportional rep, uh, proportional delegate shares, and she'll she'll pick up delegates. She's already picked up delegates. She'll pick up more delegates on Super Tuesday. Um, so she will go to the convention, uh, even if she drops out after Super Tuesday, with more delegates than anybody else other than Trump. That gives her some leverage at the convention. And why would she care about leverage? Well. Uh, a lot can happen between now and the convention with Donald Trump. There's all sorts of legal cases. He could be convicted. He could be in jail. He could. There's all sorts of things that could happen. And and she is putting herself in position to have some uh, some sway, some uh, some influence at the convention as to who that nominee would be if Trump, for some reason or another, you know, can't be the nominee, or is, or the people have decided he, he shouldn't be. So that's number one. Number yeah. two, uh, yeah. I, People have said she's looking at a at a at a no labels potential. So she may uh, drop out of this race and and flirt with a third party run. I uh, don't see that as a viable choice for her, but that's something she could she could certainly do. And the final thing, which I think is the most likely, which is uh, she's banking her chips that um, she believes Donald Trump is not. Uh, you know, not not likely to win this this presidency. I mean, she, I think she believes that. I think a lot of the folks who are opposing Trump believe he cannot win the general election, and so she will uh, be second in this race. Trump will uh, will lose. Uh, maybe MAGA is discredited. People start looking. Well, we got to re- retool the Republican Party because this this isn't working. MAGA was. Was not uh, was not a winning message before Trump. It's uh, if Trump can't do it, nobody can. And so you'll you may see a whole rethinking, and she'll be one of the leading voices in that rethinking. So I think and potentially setting herself up to run in 2028. So those those are the three scenarios as to why she continues, uh, but she has no chance uh, just uh, straight out through the primary system of getting a nomination. Hmm. 
Interesting. So, Rick, I recently heard some kind of rumbling about President Biden dropping out. Is that is that a real thing? Is that likely to happen? Is there any chance of that happening? There's a higher chance of that happening than, than Nikki Haley winning the Republican primary. Uh, and, and the reason is because there's certain things that he can't, you can say, well, he's having trouble with the border. He's having trouble you know, with the Middle East, he's having trouble with Ukraine, he's having trouble uh, with the with the economy and inflation. Those are all things you can overcome. You can't overcome the fact that he's old and decrepit, and and that that just isn't going to go away. And it's something that is that what we're seeing from polling that more and more people are disqualifying him because they just don't think he's capable of doing the job today, much less five years from now when he'll still be president if he wins re-election. So I think there's that disqualifier that that is a real real problem for him. The greatest insurance he has, and was the best political decision Joe Biden ever made, to pick Kamala Harris as his vice president, because she's the insurance policy that he isn't going anywhere. Because as bad as Joe Biden would be, as decrepit and as and as um, in, uh, incompetent as he is mentally and physically, uh, he's a much better candidate than Kamala Harris. And so that's that's the that's the ultimate protection that Joe Biden has. Mark, you you snickered when <laughs> when Rick said that choosing Kamala Harris was the best decision President Biden made. Um, you want to comment on that? Yeah, you know I, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, though I would say it is sort of disrespectful. She is the most singularly untalented political person on the national scene today. She just always sounds stilted and fake. Uh, she sounds like she's talking to second graders when she's in front of a room full of adults. She's just not a good politician. This goes all the way back to the beginning when we were talking about, you know, somebody has to be able to have a certain amount of charisma. They have to be good in front of a camera. They have to be able to speak well. She doesn't, she's not qualified on any of those bases. And I think we could tie this into something else, Rita. You and I have recently been talking about social justice, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all that stuff. And she is that candidate. She came up through the system uh, based on, not on merit, but based on gender and skin color, other questionable tactics coming up through the ranks. Uh, uh, she got appointed by a guy that she was sleeping with. That's how she first became a senator. And so all of those things make her singularly unqualified. The qualification that she had to be vice president of the United States, as stated by Joe Biden, is that he was looking for a black female. That was his selection criteria. I'm not convinced by any means that she was the most qualified black female in the United States of America. And I do believe it is plausible that Joe Biden's team picked her because she was so unqualified and that would allow him to rise above her and just absolutely stay in command as the president and have no worry about her overshadowing him. So I agree with Rick. And when you look at all the polling numbers, the American people agree, Joe Biden is very, very unpopular right now. We've never seen in the modern polling era, a sitting president at this time in a reelection campaign be as unpopular as he is. His popularity, his favorability is underwater right now. It's unbelievable to me to say this, but when you look at the real clear average polling uh, right now, uh, you have Donald Trump's favorability is above 50% and Joe Biden's below. We've never seen anything like that. And yet Kamala Harris is much lower than Joe Biden. So I agree with Rick. 
she's an insurance policy for keeping him in place and not replacing him with his vice president. Mm. Rick, do you think that President Biden is fit to be president for another term? I don't mean in terms of his policies, but in terms of his mental and physical health, do you think he is fit to do the job? No, I don't. Uh, and and I, I, I say that as dispassionately as I can. Uh, he is clearly a, a diminished. Uh, when you get to be that age, that diminishment does not uh, improve. It's not like he's going to get better. It's not like he's sick and he's going to get better. Uh, it's not like he has a mental health issue and that he can recover from this mental health issue. He is simply uh, declining like all of us do uh, who reach, reach those ages. Now, it, it's a different time. Sometimes you know, it's in your 60s. Sometimes it's in your 90s. Sometimes you're 100 before you really start to see that steep rate of decline. But the decline is there and it and you can even look from four years ago to today. I mean, there's there's a difference between four years ago and today. And uh, and imagine four years from now, as you know, it you know it, it gets, it's it's not like like this. It 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 starts to you know the 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 decline starts to steepen, uh, and and over, over as you get older. So this this is a this is a dangerous thing for the country because you're you're you're, you're voting for someone. Uh, and you don't really know who's running the country. At some point, that's going to happen. Uh, and because I, I don't see Joe Biden and his people around him, who are all old, trusted folks that uh, that have been working with Joe for a long time, that they're not going to give up the reins of power. They're going to just keep putting him out there or not. Putting, they, here's the other thing. After his election, they don't have to put him out there. He's not running for anything anymore. So they can yeah. completely script everything. It could be weekended Bernie's. I mean, they could just prop him up in front of a camera and and have a teleprompter and and do multiple cuts of the uh, of the thing. They could go back to a State of the Unions up until the age of television. State of the Unions were delivered. You know, they delivered the speech. Uh, they didn't give it in front of Congress. They just sent the sent the sent the manuscript. So uh, you could see a whole different. Uh, and, and and the media would cover for this every step of the way. So I think they see this as, in some respect, a little bit of a of, of a palace coup of allowing him to get elected and let let the palace really run the run the place. Yeah. Now we have about four minutes left in the program. I want to spend the last four minutes addressing this question. As Christians. What should be our criteria as we think about who to vote for for president? Me, uh, I, to me, it's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, the the Bible has very clear moral teachings, uh, and and it's it's really important to uh, to to match up the moral teachings that are that are crystal clear in in the old and, and particularly the New Testament. And you you put those uh, you put that screening in place for the candidate you're voting for. And for me, uh, you know, one of the one of the clearest clearest things is that uh, you know we are we are created by God. God created us, uh, and we are uh, we are His children. And uh, He He loves every one of us. All He knows every hair on our head. He is each of us is a unique creature of God and needs to be respected as that. And so. The first filter, the easiest filter is, you know, how does the candidate look at, with respect to the protection of human life? Uh, that's got to be the primary filter because it is, we are unique as human beings. 
because we are ensouled. We have, uh, we have, we have, uh, we have part of 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 the of of of, of eternity is in us, and and so uh, you know, we need to be respectful of that. And politicians who aren't, politicians who do not see us in that light, uh, I think it's it's a it's a cancer that infects everything else that they believe in. And so uh, to me, that's that's step one. And then you can go through with a whole bunch of other things that, that are a little bit more prudential in judgment, uh, but uh, always through the filter of, uh, of what is, uh, what is right and moral and decent. Mark, what would you add to that? Yeah. You know, I would start exactly where Rick started, which is the issue of life, but I would broaden it because I think, and, and Rick didn't mention this specifically, but when we say as Christians, the issue of life, generally what we're talking about is being pro-life people, which means anti-abortion people. And I, I absolutely agree with that. But I would add in, there's a whole plethora of issues that cut across the life issue. Now, for example, one of the biggest right now is the border issue. So I think if we don't close our border, if, if we have a candidate who is not absolutely for closing the border and shutting down the sex trafficking, the fentanyl trafficking, the potential terrorism, which is a threat to the lives of Americans. And that's a president that's not interested in protecting life. It's important to remember that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. This is in our founding documents. We know it to be true because it's true, not because it's in our founding documents. They merely recognize the truism. And the job of government is to protect and secure those rights. And the first among those is life. And so the government has a job, uh, any candidate that's running first job, protect the lives of American citizens, the lives of the unborn, uh, the lives of everybody in this country. And so that would, for me, is fundamental and it cuts across a lot of issues right now. Very good. Okay, well, we are about out of time. Rick, is there anything you wanna add that our viewers should be thinking about? Uh, you know, the, the one thing I always uh, remind people is that uh, you know, we have an obligation to pray for our country and pray for our leaders. And uh, I know sometimes it's hard to pray for our leaders because you look at them and say, uh, you know, how disgusted or disappointed you are in, uh, in, in who they are. But maybe that's because not enough people are praying for them. And, and we, we need to you know, pray for our enemies, pray for, pray for those who are in authority. In this case, it may be the same, uh, but that gives you twice the reason to pray for them uh, because God has called you to do so. And, and the other thing is, I, you know, one of the things that uh, sort of step back, um, we, we tend to think that uh, we have, we have a society that is, uh, that is focused on, uh, on material things and focused on, on, on a lot of things that are of this world. And, uh, and I think we have a society that is that that we as 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 Christians, you know, have to sort of take a step back and think, you know, well, you know, yeah, voting for someone who you know uh, is going to have a stronger economy and all those things, those are all important, and you know, we need to have quality of life, but we need to we need to think about uh, ourselves and our and, and our families about what's important to us, and 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 then project that out into the political sphere, and that is. You know, their their eternal things are much more important than these temporal things, and that um, we used to have leaders that understood that. I always say, you go back and read the speeches of folks for the first 150 years of the republic. Yeah. You find one speech that doesn't mention God, and I'll give you a nickel. I mean, it's just it. They, it the, the, our our faith was imbued in everything, and so that's the that's the thing I would just say is that 
we tend to focus on material things, not spiritual things, because we, we've somehow been convinced that they are no longer legitimate things for us to be discussing in our public life and, and political life and public discourse. It, it's, it, they, and, and that will be true if we don't. And so I just, I just encourage you to be bold and, and to, uh, to live your life, faith, your, your faithful life fully and openly in the public square. Rick, thanks so much for the example you have set. And thanks for being with us today for Crossroads. You got it. You got it. Thanks. We also want to thank our sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.